theyeshiva.net. Thank you so much, Reb Gedalia. I was wondering why Reb Gedalia wanted that all of us should be up till five in the morning <laughs> to watch a skit. I haven't been in a skit for like 26 years since I was in camp. But even in camp, color war skits or plays were 11 o'clock at night, 10 o'clock at night, 9 o'clock at night, not 4.30 in the morning. And then I realized, we came out of the skit, it's 5 in the morning, there was food. And the food actually has not subsided even for a moment during the 72 hours. And then I realized that Gedali was trying to have us, to give us the experience of some of our children. <laughs> what is it like to be up at two in the morning, three in the morning, four in the morning, and come home and there's always food? <laughs> oh wow, even the father showed up. Wow, Gedalia, look at him. About Shivan Einach. Can I share one thing? Go ahead. I just want to share, I, was, I just want to share mine and a little thing. Rabbi Russell's son-in-law came over to me and he said, I hope I don't insult you when I will tell you that the reason you were so good last night because I imagine that this is how you were originally. What a compliment. What a compliment. When the Gemara Zak, the Makim Shabali Chuva Aimdim, Ain Sadikim Gemuri Michailam Lamait. It says in Zoyar that Mashiach Asid La Savat Sadikaya Bitiyufta. The accomplishment of Mashiach is going to be that he's going to turn Sadikim into Bali Chuva. How do Tzadikim become Bali Chuva? How do from Jews become Bali Chuva? The answer is through our children. Through children, tzaddikim, or people who think they're tzaddikim, learn a much, much deeper dimension of what it means to be a Jew. And what it means to be an Ovid Hashem and an Evid Hashem. It's something that I think everyone in this room, tzaddikim, tzitkaniyas, tzaddikim and tzitkaniyas, but it's the very experience, it's the breaking of the luchas that turned Jews into bali tshuva. And that's when they could receive the real Torah, because what they received after the second luchas was much more than what they received through the first, the Gemara says, in the Dharam. What happened? Moshe broke the luchas, and their hearts broke. They experienced failure. They couldn't experience that the first time around. The breaking of the luchas demonstrated the failure. And from that brokenness, they reemerged as real people. Real people, authentic people. As somebody once said, when I was young, I worshipped perfection. Not anymore. Today, I look for people and places where there are cracks. I only look for cracks. 
because it's the cracks that allow the light to come in. I go to many Shabbatons. <laughs> I do that for a living. I, had this chust, I have this chust, I've traveled to hundreds of communities. I go to many Shabbatons of chizuk, inspiration, empowerment. I have to say the truth. <laughs> I told this last night to my friend of Urshaparnas. I have to say the truth. Some Shabbatons you come to, it's good places. But everybody walks around with that sense of wholesomeness. And I'm going to make sure nobody sees my cracks. Because I don't have cracks. Our family, there's no cracks. We're the perfect family. We're like the Shatchanim's dream. <laughs> you know that family? You remember when you used to be like that? My kids are going to be the dream of the Shatchanim. Nobody has cracks. And you know what? They're beautiful, but the light doesn't come in. The light doesn't come in. It's nice. Mask a filter fish. We slap each other on the back. We flatter each other. We say, Micha Amcha Yisrael. And we go to sleep. Here, first of all, you don't go to sleep. <laughs> That's number one. And number two, there's a lot of cracks. But there, because there's so many cracks, there's infinite light. Last night, for almost two hours, what are they called? Bengavra Lagavra. Between one session and another session, I escaped the gazing eyes of Reb Gedalia for two hours. It's not easy. Because he and Google always know where I am. But for two hours, I found a hiding place. I'm not going to tell you where it is, because I need it for the future. But anyway, during those two hours, I met a young man. He's 26 years old. Grew up in a very, very religious community in New York. Many of you know the community. Beautiful community, a very Hasidic community, very religious community. And he shared with me that Friday night when he was 17 years old and he walked into the house. It was Friday night and he came in with jeans and with a sweatshirt. And his father told him these words in Yiddish. Die kleinen Nazi. You little Nazi, leave my home. And the boy looked at me and he said, I turned to my father and I said these words. Tati, weit noch a bissel. Und du wirst sehen, wie ich will auswachsen zu sein, a größer Nazi. Give me a couple of years and you will watch me grow up. And from a small Nazi, I'll become a big one. And he turned around and he left the house. His mother chased after him, like last night's mother. Where's Mrs. Weinberger? I mean, Mr. Weinberger. That's actually a bad joke in 2022. Sorry. <laughs> but what happens at Keshenafshi stays at Keshenafshi. Please. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Mommy chases him to no avail. He's out of the house. He's out of the house. 
His journey was so painful and complex. Hard to describe it in a few moments. But at one point he overdoses. He's in the hospital. He's more on the other world than on this world. And he's in a coma for months. They don't know if he's going to make it. He looks at me last night and he says, Rabbi Waiwa, you know, I believe in nothing. I don't believe in all your Judaism. I don't believe in anything. I don't believe in God. Of course not. I'm like, Chas <laughs> Please don't. He says, but there was one moment that changed everything. He said, it was the middle of my coma. I was in my coma. And my grandfather, whom I'm named after, my grandfather, who I never saw, came to me. I never saw him before. He was gone before I was born. I was named after him. And he came to me. And he hugged me. And he called me by my name, his own name. And he said, everything is going to be all fine. You're going to be okay. You're a good child. You have a big soul. And he hugged me. And he says, that Meg- the boy tells me at Megiglet, he caressed me. I said, what did you do? He said, for the first time I shed a tear. I said, how did you know if you were in a coma? <laughs> he said, you know everything. <laughs> they just don't know you know. I felt the tear coming down my cheek. I said, but you're, you call yourself an atheist. He says, but this is true. <laughs> I said, I don't believe anything. (laughs) He said, no, it's true. I'll tell you how I know. When I woke up, my father was in the room. And he told me around a week ago, one day suddenly I saw a tear come down your cheek. I called in the doctor. And I said, he's feeling, he's aware, he's crying about something. The doctor says, man, it's just the body ejects liquids. He says, the tear came down his cheek. It's nothing, trust me. And I told my father, doctors don't know everything. Doctors don't know everything about brains and they don't know everything about neshamas. They know some things. A doctor is not a doctor and a moldos oichnisht. Or as they used to say in Yiddish, a mensch is not a mensch and a moldos oichnisht. Then he turns to me and he says, but my grandfather told me one more thing and I never understood what that means. I said, what did he say? He said, Shefala, I forgive you. And he asks me, he said, I don't know what he means because I never saw him. I never saw him. Like I didn't do anything to him. I don't even know who he was. I didn't know who he was. And I said, maybe he was telling you you're named after him. So you have a piece of his neshama. He says, I'm forgiving you. And he was telling you, could you forgive yourself? Can you forgive yourself? Can you really embrace yourself? Can you really be kind to yourself? Can you really understand that you were coping in the best way you knew how to? This father who heard from his son that he's going to become a big Nazi... Something, something shifted in him. And 10 years ago, he was one of the first people who went to Reb Avi Fischoff's seminar. <laughs> and recently, 
his son looked at him and told him, Tata, father, you know, I would have been dead long ago. In fact, I wanted to be dead long ago. The only reason I can't die is because of you and mommy. I heard this from him last night, this morning during Shachris. The father walked over to me and says, Do you know what my son told me when he was 17 years old Friday night? And he told me the whole story. I heard it from two people, from the son and from the father. And he said, when they told me, go to Avi Fishov, I told my friend, I know everything. I did everything. Somebody's going to hack me a chinik with new stuff. He says, come, come, come. And you know, he says, you sit there for 10 hours straight. You're barely allowed a break. It's like this place. So of course with a smile, but you know, there's no break. It changed everything. So I think first and foremost today, I want to ask you, to give a real round of applause. Send them my love. And then shut it off. <laughs> After you send my love. Let's really salute. Let's really salute and pay tribute. To all of the mothers and the fathers who are here in this room and who have really gone through a paradigm shift, a transformation. In the era of Geula, Mashiach turns tzaddikim into Balei Tshuva. Let's face it. Let's face it. Did you ever think about the fact that the Kayin Gadol who served in the Mishkan, who represented Klal Yisrael to the Rebbeinu Shalaylam, the holiest person, the only man who can walk into the Holy of Holies. He was the person who was responsible for building the golden calf, the Egel Hazav. Should have he not been canceled in woke culture? The first person to have been canceled and he built the eagle, the greatest, one of the greatest tragedies in Jewish history Who built it? Who advised it? Who suggested it? The Jews said, we need a God. And Aaron said, give me your gold. Throws it into the fire. Aaron says, what did you do? What did you do? How did you do this? Moshe says, how did you do this? And then a few months later, he becomes the holiest Jew. How in the world does this happen? And in Parsha Shmini, when Aaron wants to go in, when Aaron doesn't want to go in to do the Avaida, to dedicate the Mishkan, Rashi says, Moshe tells him, Loma Atabosh, why are you embarrassed? You were chosen. You were chosen for this. And the Baal says, not you were chosen despite your shame. You were chosen because of your humility. Only the person, only the person, who can engage 
in such a type of act. The humility of Aaron. Aaron was a person who had to surrender completely. When I live a life that is so perfect, my family is perfect, I'm on top of the world. Nachas, 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 nachas. Bris, apshenish, principle, asher yeladetai, like pasuk pumah megirsa, finish shishu sidri mishnah at 11. Bar mitzvah, nachas, nachas, ashtik nachas, achticha of nachas. There's kemensh, of ashtikal nachas. Achticha real is chabat. Masifta high school, amazing, Eretz Yisrael, wow, or wherever, whatever the demographic is. And the conveyor belt continues, as I said last night, you hatch them, you match them, you dispatch them. And you ask them to bring back the eight o'clock. Okay, you guys weren't up at five in the morning, smart ladies, two smart women. Should have done what you did. Shaduchim and new generations. It's beautiful, it's amazing. But let's face it. A Koyen Gadol, you can't be. A Koyen Gadol, you can't be. You're a good person. We love you, but you can't be a Koyen Gadol. I'm a Koyen who saw that lowest moment and he felt that he was at least partially responsible even though he was doing the best he can. Aaron was never again judgmental. Do you remember those years when some of us walked around with an elevated nose? Looking at certain boys and girls. Where are their mothers? Where are their fathers? Why are they not mechanic them? Anybody remembers? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> you remember the sense of judgmentalism for all those shkotim? You remember when you saw that boy walking without a yamake, your cousin, your nephew, your cousin's nephew. And you're like, like oh, these parents are so clueless. In our home, this doesn't happen. We are such, such a special mother, such a good father. We have the best kokosh cake, Shabbos in our home. We even have sushi. And there's mirrors, there's mirrors. They're like unbelievable. There is that sense of spiritual arrogance and haughtiness and sometimes a little narcissism. I own God. I own the Rebbeinu Shalom. I own Yiddishkeit. I own my children. And you know what? Ich vergehen. Baruch Hashem. Gesundheit. Larichus Yom HaMashonim Taivus. But a Kayin Gadol you can't be. Some Seifer writes next week, Parsha, Parsha's Bahar. says, V'chiyamu Chachicha. Sometimes your brother becomes poor and he loses everything. And he sells his soul. He sells himself. Gu'ula t'eloi. He must be redeemed. Says the Shem It's not he must be redeemed. Gu'ula. That's when he experiences gu'ula. That's when he's liberated from self-consciousness. From egotism. From superficial Judaism. That's when I'm liberated for the sense that I own God. I own Judaism. I own spirituality. I own my children. That's the humility when I surrender to infinity. And I look at the mystery of life with awe and reverence. I stop judging. I live in a liberated space. I live in an emancipated space of godliness, of divinity. That's why Aaron. Toiras emes hoisa says only about Aaron and Malachi. 
Toiras emes hoisa befiyo emes efer ma soilas dexab soifer. The humility of Aaron after the Chet Egel. Every one of these children turns their parents into diamonds, into gems, into pieces of divine light, of infinite love. You learn a new level of love. You learn a new level of forgiveness. You learn about yourself in ways that you could have never, ever learned, ever discovered. But there's something else that happens. There's something else that happens. I always wondered about this story. You know, the Gemara says in Brachus, that zip code. I know if Rav Friedman is still here, Bishmul Duvid. Brachus, Daflamed Hey on the bottom. The Gemara says, Tonera Bonon. If I eat something or I drink something or I enjoy this world without a blessing, it's like me'ila. What is me'ila? Me'ila is something that belongs to the base of Mikdash, an animal or an asset, and I use it. It's not mine. There's a sheep that's a carbon, and I take the sheep. And I use it, I take the ox and I use it, I take the goat and I milk it. It's called me'ila, misusing property that belongs to the Rebbeinah Shalolim. And it's a very serious avera. In fact, there was a carbon ashram, if I did it by mistake, I had to pay back the principal and add a fifth and bring a carbon ashram called asham me'ila. It's a special offering. Why? Me'ila. It's a betrayal. It's misusing the property of Hashem. So the Gemara says, if you eat without a bracha, it's like me'ila. It's like I took something from the Mikdash, from the Beis HaMikdash, without permission. What happens if I make a bracha? <laughs> Ask them a farshim, what happens if I make a bracha? If I make a bracha, it's not holy anymore. <laughs> Before I make a bracha, it's holy. Once I say it belongs to God, it's not that holy anymore. The bracha takes it out from Hekdash. The bracha is mafkiyat, takes it out from being holy, from being sacred. Or to put it differently, if Hashem gives me permission to use this world, so it's not me'ila, I have permission. If He doesn't give me permission, so what happens when I make a blessing? <laughs> when I make a blessing, suddenly I'm allowed to use what's not yours? If I want to steal your diamond, then I make a blessing before. Baruch, thank you, it's a beautiful diamond, you own it, now I can take it. They say in Israel there was a tourist, and he saw a beautiful vineyard. And it was great grapes. He went in and he started to eat the grapes. It's delicious grapes. So the owner comes out on the porch and starts screaming. There's a posik loy signoiv. There's another posik loy signoivu. There's a posik loy signoiv. He says, no country like Eretz Yisrael. You get to eat delicious grapes and hear it vartoida while you're eating If you eat without a brach, it's not nice. Hashem gave you food. Say thank you. I get that. No, I can't It's me'ila. It's country shemaim. And if I make a bracha, I once heard a stunning insight from the Lubavitcher Rebbe. I heard it myself. He said as follows: It's a lamdish but it's 
It's what they call one of those uh, paradigm shifters in life. This week's parsha, parsha's emmer. It's a very strange halacha. A Yisrael or a Levi are not allowed to eat truma. Truma is sacred food. It's the 2% that I tithe from my grain and I give to the Kayan. And it's holy food. I'm not allowed to eat it. In fact, if you eat it, there's a penalty. You know what the penalty is? Misa bidei shamayim. A heavenly death if I don't do truma. That's how serious it is. Says the Pesach in Parshish What happens if a Koyin has an Evet Knaini? A slave who's not Jewish. And he goes over, he becomes part of the family, and he becomes a semi-Jew. He's not obligated in all the mitzvahs. Is he allowed to eat truma? And the answer is, he's allowed to eat truma. If a Koyin has a behemoth, and he has kernels of truma, is he allowed to feed it to the behemoth? A mission in trumas. Yes. You give your truma to your animal. I ask you a question. Moshe Rabbeinu, according to the opinion in Zvachim, he was a levy. If he eats truma, what's the penalty? Misa. And this behemoth, this behemoth, stop him up with truma. This Evet Kneini was not Jewish till 10 minutes ago. And even now he's not fully Jewish. He's called a semi-Jew. He's allowed to eat truma, the sacred food. Vuz Yosha. Yerbakim is not allowed to eat it. David Amalek is not allowed to eat it. Shloim Amalek not. Mashiach also not. From Yehuda, they're not Kayanim. Dariza Yoichnish, the Rambam Nisht, Rashi Yoichnish. The Tanayim and Amayrayim besides Kayanim are not allowed to eat it. And this person's, you'll forgive me, this person's beast, this person's chicken, Kukuriku, kukuriku. Is he eating truma? Look at Hila. What's pshat? So the Pasuk says two words. When a Kayan buys an Evid, he's allowed to eat truma. Why? Because Kinyan Kaspehu. Because Yad Evid ki Yad Rabbi. Mashakan Evid kan Rabbi. A real servant, a real Evid is one with the master. It's like an extension. So just like the Kayan's children are allowed to eat the trum, even though they're young children. And his wife, she may be a daughter of a Yisrael, she's also allowed to eat trum, because ishtay kagufa, it's one unit. Even an animal lahavdil. But it's the animal of the Kayan, it's an extension of the Kayan. So it's not an animal eating trum, an evid eating trum, it's the Kayan eating trum, the evid and the behemoth belong to the Kayan. They don't have their own separate identity. A koyin is eating a part of a carbon. Only koyin am allowed to eat it. He can give it nechol. Hamurim am kayotzevim elosh hamurim nechol. You remember this morning? You were sleeping. The tata, that was the chabal tshuva. You probably had kavana by davening. Bali tshuva have kavana by davening. Elosh hamirim nechol. Lakoyanim. Lenishayim. Levnayim. Olavdayim. I can't. I was born a Jew. I can't eat it. It's a carbon. The Evid can eat it. Why? He's part of the Kayan. So the Rebbe said, open your hearts. When a Jew takes food, what is it? It's hectish. It's a carbon. What, are you, what happens when you make a bracha? What do you say in the bracha? Baruch atah Hashem elekaini melech You're mine. You're my God. You're my king. Who am I? I'm your Evid. Ah, Mr. Nevit! Estrumel! 
S. Kachim. S, S, S. Now you're part of Hashem. Not that the food goes out of Hektish. You become part of Hektish. In the Yeshiva Sheshprach, the Broche doesn't change the Hefze. The Broche bite the Gavre. The Broche doesn't change the food before the food belonged to Hashem and now the food belongs to me. Bye bye, God. I made a Broche. Baruch Shepatrani. That's what you should make. Baruch Hashem Shepatrani. Thank you, and now the water is mine. No! The bracha makes you divine. You acknowledge, Baruch HaTah Hashem Eloikeinu Melech HaOilam. Not just the whole world, also this world. You're an extension of the Rebbein HaShalolam. Or as Rebbe Gedalia says, you're an ambassador of the Rebbein HaShalolam. What does the Gemara say in Kiddushin Memalev Shluchoy Shalodom? Kemoisoy! Which Adam? Zogdabalatanyin lekutatayin vayikra Adam ha'elyoin. The real Adam is Hashem. Adam ha'elyoin she'alakisa yecheskul perik aleph. Shluchoy shel Adam ha'elyoin kemaisa. When you're an ambassador of the Rebbeinu Shalaylam, you're a shliach of Hashem. You assume the identity kevayachal of the Rebbeinu Shalaylamim. Hashem says, "Of course you can eat hektish. You're mine." So I tell God, but it's no problem, but it's mine, behemoth. I don't care if you're a behemoth. Behemoth can ask now, but it's mine, behemoth. I'm an avid kneinich, become a yid. You're mine. We're good. S, my kind. S, my kind. You're mine. Everything changes. In this copyright, Rabbi Russell, in this parsha, in this sugya, you heard that word, right? In this sugya, first time women are learning sugyas. <laughs> you know, I love two things about Keshe The women are learning sugyas, and the Hasidic men in the tea room are discussing the difference of the limbic brain, the amygdala, and the prefrontal lobes that have been compromised as a result of trauma. And they have two guys in Shreimlach. Voo. 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 It's And imagine you guys go and you go into your base medrash in Lakewood. Or Monroe or William. And you say, Chevra, Chevra. You get up, you know, it's, you're doing the Kiddush. Let's voo. <laughs> but again, how do you get guys to voo without cracks? Look for the cracks. That's where the light comes in. That's where people learn every moment of the day to say, Baruch, you wake up in the morning, Baruch, Hashem, Aleikeinu, Melech, And when you take your first cup of coffee, remember, you're not just drinking a cup of coffee and you have to make a bracha. You're redefining yourself as a conduit for Hashem in this world. As a manifestation of Hashem's love in this world. As a manifestation of Hashem's infinite compassion in this world. You are a conduit for Hashem. My eye transcends itself. It forfeits its need for egotism which comes from insecurity. 
and it allows itself to melt away in ecstasy of oneness of Einoid Mulvadai. And then when your child walks into your home, or my child walks into my home, we can be anchored in infinite love and connection and empathy and loyalty and not just love but pride. But for this, I have to be able to go through that shift of Baruch Hashem Or as the Helik said, why do Jews like drinking coffee in the morning? I thought it's to give them a boost, a little caffeine. Some people you don't talk to before they have their first cup of coffee. You don't want to meet them, you don't want to read their texts. But the Badishiva said, let's take it a step deeper. He said, what's coffee made of? You have a combination of life. Sometimes you're in hot water. And sometimes you're in cold milk. Sometimes you're experiencing the sweetness of sugar or splendor. Chalila, chalila. And sometimes you're experiencing the bitterness of coffee beans. But the Jew knows that he or she could combine the cold milk and the hot water, the sweet sugar and the bitter coffee beans. And you bring it together and you say, And that moment you seize becoming a separate person enjoying the world. You are now an ambassador of divine infinity. And it becomes a coffee, which they call in Yiddish, Kaveh, Kaveh El Hashem. Chazak v'yameitz libecha v'kaveh El Hashem. That's the power of the brocha. That's the transformation that we're capable of experiencing. That our children allow us to tune into. To truly become people. That when you, somebody looks into your eyes, they don't only see the crack, they see the light. They see the halo of light, they feel the authenticity, they feel the honesty. Because wherever there's authenticity and honesty, that's where the Shekhinah dwells. Wherever there are cover-ups and fakeness, there's a lot of things that are there. But not the divine presence. You know my dearest friends... I always wondered, how do you do this to your sister? Let me tell you what he did. Tell me, how do you do this to your sister? You know what I'm talking about? Okay. Since we're doing sugyas. The Gemara tells a story in Meseches Baba Metziah, Dav Pei Dalad. You're going to be tested on the page number over there in the back. Baba Metziah, page 84. It's easy to remember. Daf, Daf. Pedalot. Also, Poida, Poda, Pedia. Rabbi Yochanan was the greatest Talmudic sage of his time. He lived in the third century after the second era. He was the editor of Talmud Yerushalmi. And Rabbi Yochanan went to bathe in the Jordan River. Anybody ever went to bathe in the Jordan, in the Yarden? The Gemara says, Chaz Yerish Lakish. Rish Lakish was a Jew. 
who was a gladiator. What some people would call, he belonged to gangsters. He was mighty. He was powerful. He was OTD on steroids. He had a mother who sat Kashanafshi for four nights and wept. Father was eating. <laughs> no, 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 no. Father was also crying. I have nothing against men. I love them all. <laughs> Besides, when they stuff up their emotions with food. But I also do it. Look at me. Listen, the amygdala, the amygdala, the reptilian brain needs to survive. Do you see, did you see the levels of carbs that were here this Shabbos? Right? The men didn't notice, but did you see the levels of carbs? I never saw so many carbs in my life. I need therapy for the carbs. Where are you? I was looking for lettuce. <laughs> I wasn't, my wife was. <laughs> Halavai, I was looking. One day, one day, I'll also become a Balchuva. Rich Lakish was a gangster. Rich Lakish saw Rabbi Yochanan. And the Gemara says Rabbi Yochanan was one of the most beautiful, gorgeous, handsome people alive. And Rish Lakish jumped with one, with one nudge, with one motion. He jumped into the Yarden, into the Jordan, right near Rabbi Yochanan. According to the commentators... He thought, Rabbi Yechon didn't have a beard, he thought that he was a woman. And he wanted to engage in what he wanted to engage, promiscuity. A Gemara. What would you do if you were Rabbi Yechon? This mighty gangster, the head of the mafia, a powerful, physically powerful, impressive person. Was Tutman, was Tutman. 911, Shoimrim, Mizamrim, Chaveirim, Zingers, scream at him, holler, what do you do? Take out your phone in the Jordan River, call out, what's Titman, what's Titman? I once heard my friend, the Tata, the Heilekayam Eruv Shlita, the father of the Balshiva, one who taught him how to be a father. He once told a story. And my shul, he came to the shul and he said that he was once, he was once in the lake, he was swimming in a, in a, in a river, in an ocean, I'm sorry, in the beach, and suddenly there was a shark. It's a shark. So he said, I took out my knife from my kapote, my bekesha, and I slaughtered the shark. So somebody said to him, if you were swimming in the beach, how did you have a bekesha with a knife? Inside. So he said, the Bissekimen Fregen Kashas or the Devilst Heren Amaisa? Which one? You came to ask questions or you want to hear a story? If you came to ask questions, go to the Shir. If you want to hear a story, I'll tell you a story. But by the way, it was funny, but there's a depth there. Because people have a lot of questions. But at the end of the day, you have to say, Bissikimen Fregen Kashas? You want to ask questions, Gesundheit. But you want to hear the Maisa? You want to hear how it is? You'll hear how it is. I can argue from today till tomorrow. But, 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 if I scream at her about the tides, fart. Good questions. You want to hear questions or you want to hear the way it is? You want to hear the way it is? We know what works, we know what doesn't work. This is a parenthesis. 
What do you do if you're in a in a river and a shlokish came and he came not to hear a shear? He did not want to come so Rabbi Yochanan would teach him Talmud Yerushalmi. What do you do? See, you have the whole Keshe in two words. Rabbi Yochanan looks at this gangster who's ready to jump into a river. A woman, quote-unquote, is bathing. This is his, this is his asoga. And he tells him two words. Two words. The strength, the courage, the resilience, the power that you have. Belongs to Torah. Jews, the Torah needs your power. The power you could give to Torah is unparalleled. Rishlokish wasn't stupid. He looks at Rabbi Yechanan and he says, Shufrach Lenoshi. And your beauty, you know who it belongs to? Women. You're in the wrong job, Rabbi. You're in the wrong field. You're wasting your time. Quetching a bank. A man like you. <laughs> can be in a very different career. On top of the world. So now what would you do if you were a Yechina? Ah, shaygets. Ah, manivel. Ah, Right? And Rabbi Yechina would turn to his wife. And say, you see? Well, his wife wasn't there, but... What does Rabbi Yechanan say? Rabbi Yechanan says, listen to this. You think I'm beautiful? Wait till you meet my sister. My sister is more gorgeous than I. And let me tell you, Rish Lakish, if you get your life together and you discover your potential, I'm going to talk to my sister. She should marry you. And then you'll have a beautiful life. I'm good, but my sister is something else. And what happens? Rish Lakish becomes the Gadol Hadar. And who does he marry? Rabbi Yechanan's sister. And if anybody learned Gemara even for 10 minutes, you know Rabbi Yechanan and Rish Lakish together become the greatest sages of a generation. They're best friends. Rish Lakish is a friend and a student and a brother-in-law. And much of the Torah that we have today came through the analysis and the mouths of Rish Lakish and Rabbi Yechanan. But now, imagine your brother would do this to you. You would strangle him to death. What, what type of chutzpah? If you do tshuva, I'll give you my sister. Really? Yichis is garnished, chopped liver. And what's Tati going to say? And what's Mommy going to say? And what's Zaydi going to say? And what's the mitzvah times going to look like the other side? You know what the mitzvah times is going to look like? Do you know the levels of shame? The levels of shame? Bobby went through Auschwitz. So that you should offer, you should offer Feigele, this gangster, in the Yarden River? The chutzpah. 
Not only did he do it, not only did Shlokish's wife agree, not only was it a great shidduch, the Gemara decides to record it for eternity in Baba Metziah, Daf Pedal, and Amad Aleph. But the truth is, Rabbi Yechanan had no doubt. It wasn't even a question. I wondered about this for years. And then this morning, I wasn't in the Jordan River, but I was in something close to that. Uh-huh. It has a Schwitz nearby. Again, what happens in Keshenafshi stays in Keshenafshi. And I met my friend, Reb Mardechai Vider. And my friend, Reb Mardechai Vider, tells me, he couldn't say it explicitly because we were in a place where you don't have these conversations. But he said, on the dry bones, you know? I said, no, you caught me. I said, you'll show it to me. We came to Shul a few minutes later, and he showed me the Chsam Seifer. One of those priceless, priceless insights into life. Chsam Seifer said this Shabbos Chalamoyed, Pesach Tov Kuf Samach Dalet. That's 1804. 1804, a couple of years ago. Before Kesha Nafshi, before Twisted Parenting, <laughs> even before the internet. The Aftar of Shabbos Cholomayet Pesach is Yecheskel Perik Lamed Zion. Chapter 37 Yecheskel. It's the Aftar of the Dry Bones. And it's a fascinating Aftar because Hashem takes Yecheskel out to a field, and all he sees in that field are dry bones. And Hashem asks Yecheskel three words. Hasichyena, ha'atzomas, ha'ela. Do you think these bones can come back to life? The bones were not just bones. They were dry. They were emaciated. There was no moist, le- moisture left in them. Hasichyena, can they come back to life? And you know what he said? He didn't say yeah. He said, atoyodaita. I don't know, you know. <laughs> what do I know? You know, this is, this is above my pay grade. So Hashem says, give a prophecy that these bones are going to come back to life. And Yecheskel gives the prophecy. And what happens? Suddenly, the bones start coming close to each other. And they form into skeletons, which form into bodies, which grow skin, epidermis, hide, flesh. Chayol Rav a whole nation rises. And the Rebbeinah Shulayim tells him, This is, this is Klal Yisrael. There reaches a point where the Jewish people say, The bones are dry. Our hope is lost. We're cut off. We're lifeless. We're dead. Why did Hashem say this whole pilpul? Could these bones come to life? He says, you know. So tell them they're going to come to life. Just do it. Like many other stories in Tanakh. Take him out and tell Yecheskel. Here, look. <laughs> Says the Chesam Seifer, and I quote. I have to quote this. When Hashem said, sometimes you look at a child. You look at a Jew. You look at a person. And what do you see? 
You see dry bones, indifferent, apathetic, lifeless. There's no hope. There's no neshama. Everything is cut off. All you see is deadness. Hashem says, Do you believe these bones can come back to life? Yechezkel says, I don't know. It doesn't look like it. I don't know. You know. He has their heritage. He doesn't say, no. He says, you know. It's nothing I could know about. We all know that feeling. We all know that feeling. You look at that child whose boyfriend is not even Jewish anymore. Whose girlfriend is not Jewish. A father and a mother who grew up in an ambiance of Yerushalayim have to watch a child marry out. And you look at such a soul and God says, you think these bones could come to life? And you say, I say to Hillel, only you know. You look at a child who may even be at home, but there's no emotional connection. Their emotions are shut down. Their emotions are completely, completely repressed, lost. You look at your daughter. She's so bitter. She is so angry. She is so upset. She doesn't even know how bitter and angry. And God says, And we say and we say, I'm a little person. All I have learned with all these years is, I know nothing. That's all I've learned. I know nothing. We know nothing. Comes the Rabbi Nishalaylam and says as follows. Quote. <speaking in Hebrew> You know why these bones won't come back to life? Because you don't believe in them. Because you're doubting. Because you're like, I don't know, you know. He says, do you know what a Jew is? A Jew is a chelek elikami mal mamish. A Jew is divine. A Jew is sacred. A Jewish soul is Hashem. It's not like a Jewish soul could be lost, detached, dead. Could God be dead? You're talking about a shtik elikuz. Who do you think these people are? Who do you think these kids are? These kids are divine children. And you all know the truth. You can ask every mother in this room, which child is struggling most? The most sensitive one or the least sensitive one? The smartest one? Or the not smartest one. The one who when he was six years old was the cutest, most adorable, angelic, kind, gracious boy. It's that child. So suddenly you think at 17 years old, this child became 
a kleiner Nazi und a größer Nazi and wants mommy to have sleepless nights for seven years. This most adorable child who was there to help you the last one Friday night when everybody was snoring. And the only one who was still at the play was you. And this little malach was the one who walks into the kitchen, looks you in your eyes, gives you a hug, says, Mommy, I love you. Let me help you. Suddenly at 16 years old, as geworden a greise Nazi, we're supposed to believe that? And because as a greise Nazi, we say, Get out of my house, Amalek. Some cipher says, Hashem tells Yecheskel, don't tell me. You tell yourself. You give the prophecy. Because the reason people get lost is because they give up on themselves. They ultimately feel, I'm a loser. I'm dejected. I'm an outcast. There's no place for me in Knesset Yisrael. There's no place for me. How many boys have told me they became 13? When puberty developed, their hormones did not develop. Because of what they were exposed to in fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, pornography or molestation or whatever it is. So now during puberty, they don't develop right. And they're going in a yeshiva or in another yeshiva. And suddenly they're having attractions to the same gender. And it affects their behavior and affects their nights and days. And then they, they taught, they're taught by their teachers who mean well. That if you do certain things, you're going to die. Your kids are going to die. There's no truva for this sin. And this poor 14, 13 year old boy, who's actually your deepest child, says, I'm cut off. I'm dead. I'm finished. So what am I going to work like a meshugana in yeshiva? When at the end of the day, God hates me, I am lost. And there's nobody to tell this child that everything that it says in Shulchan Aruch about might see somebody who uh, squanders procreative substances. It has to do with you. Like I'm the mentor of kangaroos in New Zealand. If you're not in a healthy emotional place, you have been exposed to certain websites and certain realities and certain pictures in fifth grade in camp or in yeshiva and you only need one boy to expose them. You didn't develop correctly. You are in desperation. You think, God, I understand it. I understand it. Rabbi Shimon Russell understands it. Avi Fishoff understands it. But God, no, he's clueless. <laughs> Really? It's not rocket science to know what happens. You could look at the scans of the brain. We know what trauma is today. It's not rocket science. The sugya is nisht azay kaplitzirt. Suddenly the Rebbeinu Shalom says, you out! So the Navi, Hashem tells the Navi, you have to believe in these bones. He says, if a person, Klau Godel, if you could promise him for sure, that you're awesome? He says, it's not a shayla. You kabbalah love. The problem is nobody makes that promise because I don't really believe. Because I don't believe. Rabbi Yochanan didn't suffer from my syndrome. When Rabbi Yochanan looked at Rish Lakish, Rabbi Yochanan was a clodayid. Rabbi Yochanan had vision. 
Rabbi Yochanan saw reality. Rabbi Yochanan looked at Rish Lakish and what did he see? He knew what he did. Rish Lakish was, Rabbi Yochanan was naive. He said, Your strength belongs to Torah. Your strength is a Torah strength. You're going to illuminate the world of Torah. Rish Lakish is cynical. He tests him. He says, your beauty belongs to women. He says, beauty, beauty. You love beauty. You cherish beauty. Wait till you see my sister. And Rish Lakish changes. How do you change a person in the Jordan River in 20 seconds? The answer is, because Rabbi Yechanan believed in him. Rabbi Yechanan was ready to tell Rish Lakish, I'm going to tell my sister. My sister respects me. She likes me. She's going to listen to me. If I offer the Shidduch, she's going to accept it. Rish Lakish looks at Rabbi Yechon and the God Ladar. He's offering me his sister. He must believe in me. Not 90%, not 98%, 100%. He saw the Elokuz in Rish Lakish. He saw the light. He saw the infinity. He saw the distortion. He saw the abuse. He saw the promiscuity. But he saw the shayrish. He saw where this person comes from. He understood the evolution. He understood the mahalach. He believed in Rishlakish so Rishlakish could believe in himself. And when Rishlakish could believe in himself, he became the greatest man of the generation. My dearest friends, last week I put in a call to a friend of mine. His name is Rabbi Eliyahu Silverstein. Zilberstein. Comes from the Zilberstein family from Antwerp. He's a Jew, a big Talmud Chachem. Big mind and a big heart. And he's the Chabad Shliach in Ithaca, New York at Cornell University. And he confirmed this story directly to me. One day, one day, just a few years ago, he heard there was an old Jewish woman, lives in New York, has a lot, a lot of money, and she donates Sifrei Torah if they're being used to be of Jews to Yiddishkeit, if they're being used for Kirov centers, he needed Sifrei Torah for his shul, for his Chabad center at Cornell, Ithaca. He gets her number, he calls her up, and he's expecting to hear the voice of a real American Jewish woman who somehow gives to Sifrei Torah. He says, Hello? And he tells me she starts communicating to him in a perfect Galiziana Yiddish that you don't hear so much today. Pure, beautiful, impeccable. He says, What's your name? Sandra. Was it the Galiziana nomen? Rechel. May I in Bosa? Where did you get such a perfect Yiddish? Where were you born? Meinstädter Labels, you know Meinstädter <clears throat> but she came from a city not not far, Nemirov. 
they meet. And Sandra, or Rechel, tells Rebelio Silverstein who she is. I know this from Rebelio directly, who heard it from her. My father was Rebelieza Brand. My mother was Pesha. <laughs> Where's Pesha when you need him? I mean her. <laughs> my mother was Pesha. My father was a fire dekebelzechusut of the Heilige Rabbi Sochadoiv and then Rabbi Aaron. Rabbi Aaron Belzer, the Belzeruv. My father was a very wealthy Jew. What did he do? He was a contractor for the Polish government to build highways in pre-war Poland. They hired him as a contractor to take care of these highways. Very affluent, very successful. And then one day, one day, it's the 1920s. And Sarashnir's schools didn't work for everybody. I opened myself up to the big world. And I slowly started to drift away from Yiddishkeit. And I met a Jewish lawyer, a Polish Jew who was secular. And we fell in love. And we decided to get married. But I knew if I get married in Nemirov, my father will have a heart attack and die. So we got married in Lvov. In Lvov, today Ukraine, Lemberg. And the lawyer, the chassan stayed there. And I went back home. So my father should never found out that we were married. Imagine. Remember, this is the 1920s. I couldn't have my father and mother find out. So I would go visit my husband in Lvov. And then I would come home to Nemirov. A single from girl who was completely secular. One day my father found out his daughter was too interested in traveling. And he found that I'm married to this fellow. We got married in Lemberg by a Rav, who married us off without any of our parents there. And my father called me in and he said, You have a choice. You got to get from him. You divorce him immediately. He's out of your life. You become a from girl. Or I will never ever speak to you again in your life. You leave the home and our connection is cut off. You're a dead child. Make a, make a choice. She is telling the story to the Chabad Shliach of Cornell University, who shared it with me. That time, there was another contractor for the Polish government of highways, and he got jealous of Rebeliezer Brandt. So he went to the government, and he said, Jewish contractors are kratzers. Any of you worked with Jewish contractors? You ever tried to build a house? How long does it take? Still not finished, right? Huh? Still not finished. The contractors here are different, I know. But you know the mice with contractors, yeah? This guy went to the government, a non-Jew, and he said, you can't trust him. He cuts corners, the highways are not strong. He wanted, he should completely lose his business, and he should take over the job. He had an emergency, what do you do? He goes to Bells, to the Baron. His daughter Rachel says... You know what, Tati? Ich will reden mit den Ruf euch. 
He says, well, uh, he's not uh, Belzeruv. He's not. He says, so you speak to him about my situation and ask him what he thinks. He says, what's there to speak about? He's going to tell me, throw her out of the house and cut all connections. Ask your neighbor, are you going anywhere? He says, okay. She comes with him to make sure he asks. They travel to Bell's. They go into the Halakir of Iron Bell's. Remember, this is the 1920s. Fischoff wasn't born. Miller wasn't born. Russell wasn't born. And if I'm not mistaken, YY wasn't born. <laughs> he goes into the Belzeruv. First thing, of course, business is business, right? Vostitman. <laughs> Belzeruv closes his eyes, opens his eyes, and says, Ruf up the guy on Zugim, will sein a shutuf metem. Call up the non Jews, say, let's, let's create a company, we'll be partners 50 50. And we'll work together. He says, Rebbe, 50% of my parnusa goes to him. But Belzerov says, 50% is best of a garnished. Better 50% than nothing. Then he says, I don't really think it's a question, but my daughter asked me to ask, and he tells the whole story about his daughter. She was there. The Belzerov closed his eyes for 10 minutes. I was like, 10 minutes. He opened his eyes. And he says, the chasana is given mit chippa v'kidushin. They're really married or it's not a real marriage? He says, yeah, it's chippa v'kidushin. So the Belzeruv says, nemem arayin in shtub. Go bring your son-in-law into the house. Un fizich mitem azayvi ala andere chasanem. Your relationship to him should be like all your other sons-in-law who are fayedike belzech sidem. Un denaden zal oich zayin dezelbe. And the money he gets should be exactly the same like the other sons-in-law. This already He says, Rebbe, I cannot fill on this king Yiddish. Can echte Galiziane Yiddish can anish. That was like the worst, you know what I mean? You, know, you, you guys understand what I'm saying, right? The Hasidim understand what I'm saying. <laughs> right? It's worse than everything, right? Like I know a father, he told his son, I don't care if you keep Shabbos. But the hat stays on. The guy, the man says, he doesn't know the language. You know, it's embarrassing. He's going to sit at the Shabbos table, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like your son-in-law, you invite him for Pesach, and he takes out vodka. I mean, what are you? So the Belzerov says, Afilu hachi. Afilu hachi. It's fine. Even with that. Treat her like your most precious child and daughter. And treat him like your most precious son-in-law. That's it. They leave the room. She says her father was a chassid. He changed everything. He called the non-Jew. He said, let's become partners. We'll help each other. The non-Jew says, fine. They become partners. What happens? He makes much more money because now people who didn't want to do business with this man, certain parts of the government, he had a partner, a non-Jew, they took him. So 50%, he was making double, triple the amount he made earlier. And his daughter became so close to him and the son-in-law as well. And she tells Rabbi Silverstein, you should know that those words of the Belzeruv, when he sold that to my father, it gave me such empowerment, such chizuk. 
He was considered one of the holiest Jews of the generation. They called him Tzura, the Lubavitcher Rebbe once said about him, he met him, he said, Tzura Beli Chaymer. He was a soul without a body. The Belzeruf was like a soul without a body. Tzura Beli Chaymer. And he, he said this, it gave me such power. Hitler invaded Poland September 1, 1939. Yud Zion Elul, Tafresh Tzadik My husband was killed. My husband took our little daughter. Her name was Branda. She was murdered as well. My father, Abeliezer, was in one of the ghettos. And I had a brother who got certificates from the Judenrat to get a few Jews out for money. And he ran in before the selectia. And he gave my father, Abeliezer, the certificate. And he said, here, you can get out. The Germans will let you out and we'll run. And my fa- his father, my father Ebeliezer said to my, 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 his son, he said, your first responsibility is to your wife. And your wife is here. Go to your wife. And he gave his wife the certificate and she got out. And he says, my father was murdered. My mother was murdered. My husband was murdered. And my baby girl was murdered. I survived. I came to the United States. After the war, I was a completely secular Jew. Completely. Completely. I married another lawyer. A Jewish secular lawyer. And then I heard that the Belzeruv was saved. Reb Aaron was saved. So I traveled to Eretz Yisrael. The Belzeruv lived in Eretz Yisrael. He came in 1944. Shabbos B'Shalach, Haifa. And he passed away. Chaf Alef of Tovshin Yud Zayin, 57. I traveled to Eretz Yisrael in the 50s. He was already old. He couldn't see anymore. He couldn't see. He was summa. And I went into his room. I was completely secular. I went in. Now usually it was hard for women to get in. I got in. And she says, the moment I walk and I come close to the desk, he picks up his head and he says, Ah, Rebeleze Brand's tochter. Rebeleze Brand's daughter is here. Ah, the bizdo. And he showers me with blessings. He remembered the story. So I'm so happy that you're here. He showers me with blessings. I leave Eretz Yisrael. I come back to America. I'm a secular American Jew, like so many survivors. Even before that, her connection was, you know, she she developed a different path somewhat. She turns to Rabbi Silverstein, and she says, and now I'm an older lady. And I think to myself, you know, what can I do for my father, for my mother? I caused them so much pain. So I thought to myself, let me dedicate Sifri Torah for institutions that are being makar of Jews to Yiddishkeit for the schus of my father's soul and my mother's soul and my daughter's soul and my first husband's soul. And they develop a very, very warm relationship, a close relationship. And she starts coming to shul. She's already an old lady. She gives sifri Torah. She gives money. She sends money to bells in Yerushalayim through Rav Shimon Klein. And then one day, Rebelio Silverstein is the hashliach. He has to do his work. He turns to her and says, Rechala. Rechala. It's amazing what you're doing. It's amazing what you're doing. You're also a Jewish girl. It's not just your father, your mother. Uh-huh. She says, what do you want? I'm an old lady. 
He says, I suggest two things. You wake up in the morning, wash Nagavasa, and the next thing is, say Shema Yisrael, Hashem Alekeinu, Hashem Echot, say Shema, Kabbalah Salmalcha Shemaya. That's what you should start doing. She says, Gesundheit. She starts doing that. Two weeks later, at the age of 96, she passed away. Erev Shvi Shal Pesach, Chof Nissen, Tovshin Samachei. 2005. And he took care to make sure she had, you know, a full cave of Yisrael, a beautiful matzeva. They brought her to Eretz Yisrael after Pesach, and that's where she was buried in Eretz Yisrael. <laughs> that ability, that ability, real Jews, real Jews who feel the soul, who feel the soul, never ever look at a person with scorn, with judgmentalism. It's such a deep shift. But it's the shift that if you want to be a Novi, if you want to be a Kayin Gadol, if you want to be part of the problem, not part of the solution, this is the shift that is necessary. And I turn to each and every one of you finally and I say this. I know that if Hashem can ask you, would you like to delete this whole parsha out of your life? Press control, alt, delete. You never heard of Keshenavshi. You never heard of trauma. You never heard of PTSD. You never heard of the amygdala. It doesn't exist in you. You don't know about the limbic brain. There's no reptile in you. There's no lizard in you. There's no crocodile. There's no chimpanzee. There's not even a mouse in you. You're a prefrontal tzaddik. Or tzaddikis. And all your kids are prefrontal tzaddikim. Yes, Tati. Yes, Mommy. We're going to show. Awesome. Awesome. Tati, we're late. Tati, we're late. Tati, Kriya you're supposed to be quiet. Mommy, when is the meal starting? I want to make sure to be there the first one. And Mommy, I can't thank you enough for everything you do for me. And all of the children. And who taught you to cook so well? I mean, the food that you provide me in the house, it's like, it's incredible. I mean, the vegetables, the tofu, the quinoa, the soybeans, the barley kernels, the celery juice, the ginger juice. I'm trying to compensate for the weekend. (laughs) So you get your money's worth. But you know, I really believe that Hashem chose certain souls and certain families. It's based on our famous Rabbi Nubachaya. To go through whatever we go through. And there's one reason for it. And the reason is to introduce a new awareness into Klal Yisrael. You see, friends, brothers and sisters... This is the generation. This is the Deir Acher in the Galos and Deir Harish in the Gula. The last generation of Galos is the first generation of Gula. Pre Gula, what has to happen? Look at the Seder. We hide the Afikaima. And who finds them? Who finds the Afikaima? Whose job is it to find the Afikaima? The children. Forgive me if I say it this way. All of us. Hide things in life, don't we? 
We have hidden them for thousands of years. But what you hide, your children are going to find and reveal and expose and bring back to the table and say, Mommy, look at the Afikaiman and I'll prove it to you. Yachatz is called Yachatz. And what's the Afikaiman called? Tzafun. What does Tzafun mean? Tzafun. Hidden. Why couldn't they call it Afikaiman? Yachatz is the brokenness. Yachatz, broken. We take our brokenness and we hide it. We put it under the cushions, under the rug, under the carpet, under the pillows, and we want it to stay there. My family has no cracks. We are the perfect Jews, the perfect people. And then our children come and they go under the rug and under the couch and they find the tzafon. They find all my hidden skeletons, all my hidden demons, all my hidden trauma, all my brokenness. And they bring it to the chandelier of my home. And they say, Tati, for the world you may be Rabbi Vaivai. But we see the broken matzah. We see the broken matzah. And then it's our choice to do one of two things. Either you could say, get out of my house. In our house, there's no broken matzahs. Or, you're already nice. You listen to the clips. You listen to all the clips. So you smile. And you're like, you want sushi? It's really the same thing. It's like, just be quiet. Sushi? Disney World? (laughs) Okay, go play on the computer. But then there's a third group of parents. And those are the parents who look at the child and embrace the child and take the afikaiman and say, thank you. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to be real. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to be authentic. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to stop worshipping perfection. And opening myself up to the light that comes through the cracks. Thank you for being you. Thank you for being so real. Thank you for being so deep. Thank you for being so pure. Thank you for helping me become a Baltruva. Thank you for helping me to discover God. Thank you for allowing me to transcend my ego, my insecurity, my fear, my brokenness, my trauma. And open myself up to Torah's MS. Thank you. And then together, we and our children and our grandchildren and all of our people in the whole world can then declare together. Thank you very much. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.